Welcome back to You Ask For It, a podcast where Pastor Steve and I just kind of work through your questions and then different topics in Christianity. Um, If you tuned in last week, you know that we're doing something a little different right now. We are doing a series through the Apostles' Creed um, with this to help you understand some doctrine of why we believe what it is that we believe. This is week number two, and the question today comes from the very first statement of the Apostles' Creed where it says, I believe in God. And so the question that we have is, are there proofs for the existence of God? Now, there's a growing divide in America between people who believe in God and and people who don't. For instance, a Gallup poll that was done uh, just recently said that there was 81%, 81% of Americans expressed belief in God. While that might sound good, what you don't know is, is that is a pretty good drop from 2017 where 87% of people said that they believed in God. And 81% now is a record low from where it began in 1944 when they first started asking this question. It said that 96% of people said they believed in God. And now we're at 81%. And in the 50s and 60s, it actually went up to 98%, maybe because of some of the revivals and Billy Graham's ministry, some things like that. Now, with this, this this poll found that 17% of Americans said they don't believe in God, and they found that the largest declines were also the groups that are currently least likely to believe in God. For instance, um, um, liberals... Would, liberal in politics. Yeah, liberal in politics would say, you know, 62% said they believe in God. Young adults, 68% in God. And what Gallup found is that 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 belief in God is highest among political conservatives at 94%. And what they said is what you see is that religiosity is a major you know determinant of the political divisions in, in the U.S. today. Um, on top of that, the American Worldview Inventory in 2021, they did a survey and it examined the perspectives of adults 18 and over in the United States. And they found that while 57% of millennials that's me, I'm a millennial, consider themselves to be Christians, only 43%, 43% of them said that they don't know, don't care, or they don't believe in the existence of God. And, and that's it, 43% of the millennials, that's born 1984 to 2002. So I just don't care. So that's where we're at. We've got a big divide happening. Can you see that? And, and it's, 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 it's having impact in every area of life. Now, we pulled out and made our question today from saying, I believe in God. The question is, are there proofs that God exists? I believe there are great clues that give you reasons to believe that God exists. But I have to be honest and say, there's no absolute proof that God exists because God decided that's the way he wanted it. See, God wants us to have faith. Second Corinthians 5 says in verse 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. I mean, if we could go out and like the children of Israel and see the pillar of fire at night, you know, we say, oh, there's God. But God is asking us just to trust him. Uh, in Hebrews eleven six, it says, Now without faith, it's impossible to please God, because the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So the one thing God wants from us that will please him is to believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Dr. Manfred Gutzi was a great professor at Columbia Seminary in Decatur, uh, Georgia. Uh, James Kennedy was one of his students. I heard Dr. Gutsky when I was a teenager myself. He was a great man. Uh, a lady came up to him and said, my six-year-old asked me this. Um, who created God? 
And, and Dr. Gutsky said, just tell her nobody created God. He's always existed and will always exist. And she said, well, she's only six years old. She won't understand that. And he said, well, when she gets to be 60, she still won't understand it. But, it, <laughs> but it's true. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's where we've got to be. We've got to recognize that we can't understand everything, but that there are truths that we stand on. So we're going to go through those truths, but let me tell you about an interesting story from the 1800s. The number one atheist in the 1800s was a man named Robert Ingersoll, and he spent his life trying to destroy belief in God and destroy belief in the Bible. Interestingly enough, he died the same month as D.L. Moody in December of 1899, and what a contrast between the way their wives handled it, the way their, their funerals went. I mean, can you imagine a funeral of a famous atheist? Uh, in fact, they had to send the health department in to take the body out because the wife didn't want the body to be taken out of the house because she knew that'd be the last she'd ever see of them. No hope. Well, Ingersoll used to do this as a trick. He would take a watch, put it dramatically on the podium where he was speaking, said, I will prove to you that God does not exist. God, if you exist, in the next 60 seconds, I challenge you to strike me dead. And then he would count it out. It's been 45, 45 seconds left, 30, 10, 9, 8, 7. Then when he got to zero, he'd say, see, there's no existence. There's no God. He didn't do it. He didn't stri- I dared him. He didn't strike me dead. That proves there's no God. One time a Christian was in the audience. He stood up and said, how dare you think that you can exhaust the patience of God in 60 seconds? <laughs> <laughs> so we have to be admit what God has laid out for us, that we go by faith, but not it's not faith without reasons, but we go by faith in the fact that God exists. So go for that, brother. But even with faith, we would say that there is still great evidence oh, to yeah. prove. And we want to walk through about five different reasons, why we, five different evidences for that. First of all, we would say that a necessity for a first cause points to God's existence. Uh, I'll explain it to you this way. Scientists used to say that we used to believe that matter has just always existed. It's just, it's been there. It's, it's kind of, you know, it's here, it's floating, you know, those things. But now what we've come to see is that's not the case. That matter is actually, it's expanding out from a central point, a central point from a beginning. And we know what that is. Genesis chapter one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, now they try to make justifications or maybe reasonings for this, such as the Big Bang Theory or something like that, where you had this explosion. Heard a pastor one, side, one time who asked if he believes in the big, the big Bang Theory. And he said, you know, I think I actually do. He said, God said it and then bang, it happened, right? You know, I mean, boom, that's a, I mean, that's a big bang. That's a big explosion that happens yeah. that cause matter. Another way to help you kind of understand this, I think C.S. Lewis, who we'll actually talk about multiple times tonight, did an incredible job of painting a picture of what it looked like for God to create the world. If you've ever read The um, the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, um, the prequel to that is called The Magician's Nephew. And most people haven't read um, read that book, but I, what I love in there is you have the main character, you know, who ends up being the, the, um, the man in the house, you know, in, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And he fall, you know, they have the ring and they follow. Anyways, we get in this place and he enters into this kind of world and he jumps into this pool, into this kind of nothingness. And all of a sudden he sees a lion and the lion begins to roar. 
And as the lion roars, all color, life, existence, he creates Narnia by his roar. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've heard a lion roar before, but it's very loud, and you feel it. And, and, that, so, yeah. and the lion is Jesus. Yeah, Aslan. oh yeah, if you don't know, yeah, lion is, Aslan is Jesus in that. So when we think mm -hmm. about this first cause, we've seen it displayed, even pictured in that way of, boom, this explosion. God creates the world, and it's, it's there. Yeah. And, and that's, uh, in fact, that's been a huge uh, reason not to be an atheist mm. has been the fact that the scientists have come to this conclusion. There was a beginning. So there has to be a beginner if there was a beginning. The other, the second proof is the design in the universe points to a designer. In, in Romans 1, it talks about the fact that God has made himself known in creation and we have to suppress the truth and unrighteousness, not to acknowledge God. So if you look out and you see this, everything is just... If, if just one or two things were off, there'd be no people, there'd be no life. God, there's the evidence of God's design. The, somebody talked about, Darwin explained the eye by a little irritation coming on the skin of the head of, a, of the lizard or whatever it was, and it kept rubbing it until an eye came out. <laughs> and, and you've got to understand, folks, the eye is so complex, it, it defies yeah. accidental uh, appearance. Yeah. There had to be a creator, there had to be a designer. The heavens declare the glory of God, it says in Psalm 19, and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Anthony Flew was the greatest academic atheist. He shocked the world in the early part of the 2000s, in 2004, when he declared that he now believes in God. He'd spent his life trying to get people not to believe in God, and then he declared he came to believe in God. And the reason he said was this. He said, in his lifetime, the evidence for intelligent design has become overwhelming. He has no other conclusion that he can come to, but that there has to be a God. This could not have just happened. Um, Dr. Robert Jastrow, one of the world's greatest astronomers, he founded the Goddard Institute for Space Studies at NASA. Um, he wrote a book called God and the Astronomers, and talking about these things we found, the orderliness of the universe, the, the fact that there was a beginning, he said that what's happening now, scientists have been climbing up the mountain of these new facts, and when they get to the top, he said they're going to find theologians have already been sitting there. They figured this out a long time ago, that it all has led to God. Uh, we're going to look more fully in two weeks at the proof that God is not just exists, but he's also creator. And we're going to look at creation, specifically creation versus evolution in two weeks. But go ahead and give us another one, brother. The, the third proof that we have for um, the existence of God comes in the moral law that's found in our, in our conscience, right? Mm -hmm. Romans 2, starting in verse 14, it says, so when, so when Gentiles who do not by nature have the law do what the law demands, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. The conscience confirms this. Their competing thoughts either accuse or even excuse them on the day when God judges what people have kept secret according to my gospel through Christ Jesus. So this is Paul 2,000 years ago saying that our conscience proof. Is, is proof. C.S. Lewis in his book Mere Christianity proved God's existence from, from the conscience. You see, even when an atheist is wronged, he, he says it's unfair, right? There is, there's something inside of us that says, this is right, this is not. And when this happens to me, it's not right. And if, here, here's why this matters. If we were just accidents of, of evolution, nothing would matter except for mm -hmm. survival of the fittest. Yeah. So 
if if you felt like I wronged me and it's just evolution, then you have no justification for that, right? right? It's just what I need to do to survive. One scientist who became a Christian after reading Lewis said that evolution could not explain why a soldier would throw himself on a grenade to save his friends. Mm-hmm. There's just survival yeah. for the fittest. It's every man for himself. Absolutely. There's yeah. something in our conscience that tells us that every life is precious, that we are created mm-hmm. by a creator, right? There's something special about Amen. us. A fourth evidence or fact that we can rest upon in believing in God is that the fact that humans hunger for God points to God's existence. Every, everything you have as a desire, you have it there because it can be fulfilled. Uh, we have just had our church supper with wonderful lasagna. So there's not a lot of hungry people in the room right now. There's a lot of people that may be fighting sleep. <laughs> but before you went in there, you had hunger. And the reason why you have, if you have hunger, you say there must be something that can fulfill that. We have sexual desires. That's because there's something that can fulfill that. And Psalm 42, it says in verse 1 and 2, As a deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. I thirst for the living God. Here's a fact that you need to know. There has never been a people's group discovered on this planet that was an atheist group. They all worship to God because there's something inside of us that says, I'm drawn. I need this. There must be a God and they're drawn to that. And that's a proof. And finally, the fifth proof we'd give you is the, the changed lives and the interventions of providence that we believe they would point to the existence of God. Charles Bradlaugh, the most famous, he was one of the most famous atheists of, of the 1800s. He challenged H.P. Hughes, uh, who was a minister that ran a rescue mission. He challenged him to a debate. And H.P. Hughes agreed on one condition. He said Bradlaugh had to bring 10 people whose lives were changed for the better by atheism. And he said that he would bring a hundred saved alcoholics, prostitutes, those whose lives had been radically changed by the gospel. And we would see from that. Mm-hmm. And as far as we know, there was, he couldn't find 10 no. who saw atheism that made his life better. Yeah. I, I heard one girl that when she was being made fun of because she believed in the miracles like Jesus turning water into wine, she says, well, I can't explain it, but I know in my house with my dad, when he got saved, Jesus turned beer into groceries. You know, and so there was a change there. Um, Now, because we have increasing numbers of people choosing atheism, what is the consequence of this choice? You're going to make a choice one way or the other. And I think one of the things we've already talked about is if you choose to be an atheist, there's no basis for morality. You, You can morals can be changed. You can be changed with a vote. And one of the things that I think is alarming is that we're seeing a great move in our country to make things that we have been taught in our consciences are wrong legal, and therefore we imply since it's legal, it's all right. I'm reading an interesting book now. It's a little older by Erwin Lutzer, uh, and he studied Hitler and the rise of the Nazis. And he said one of the things that Hitler did in the 1930s was he had the German uh, parliament declare him to be the law. Whatever he says is the law of the land. And so when he said that Jews are subhuman, then that became the law of the land. When he said that mentally deficient people or older people who can no longer contribute to society need to be put to death because they're addressed, well, that became the law. So, so it, the standard of law was what Hitler said. And, and when you get to the Nuremberg trials, when they captured those Nazi leaders and put them on trial, several of them defiantly said, we broke no laws. We just obeyed the laws of our land. What we did was right because we obeyed the laws of our land. 
And so there's, there's nothing on the outside that would contradict that. But if you believe there is a God who's put that conscience in our hearts that one day we'll stand before, there is a basis for morality. But two other quick things. If there is no God, there's no meaning in life. Uh, I, was, I went behind a car today, and then the bumper sticker was all about fairies. She had two, two different things about fairies, you know, the little things that fly in the air, human-like or whatever, you know. And so I, I knew this was a typical person for our part of, the, of Carolina, wasn't it? And, and, and she had a bumper sticker that said, the meaning of life is simply to live. Well, folks, there's a lot more to life than that. Um, and then last of all, and this is what's saddest to me, I mentioned Ingersoll and how his, the health department had to come in and take the body of Ingersoll out because he was beginning to decay. She, she held on, didn't want them to, to remove him because she was an atheist and lost an atheist and that would be it. One of the worst consequences of choosing atheism is there's no life after death. There's no hope of heaven because there's no God. So then the question kind of comes to why would then people choose atheism? Why would people choose to not believe in God? And we believe there's probably two main reasons for this. And you probably know what these are, but we'll talk about it for just real quick. First of all is the problem of evil and suffering, right? Uh, How could there be a good God when I've been through what I've been through, right? Mm -hmm. When when I've seen what's happened to my family. J.B. Phillips, um, he for a while left the faith because he saw his mother go through cancer and then chemo and then the, the loss of her mind. And he said, this is what he said about it. He said, I became angrier and angrier that God could allow such terrifying physical and mental degradation to happen to such a wonderful woman. I gave up my religious faith utterly. The problem of human suffering is the most serious obstacle to the faith in a God of love today. And I'll tell you, Pastor Steve, I'm doing, doing student ministry for six years. I would encounter many teenagers who, on both sides of this, some who, man, they were so hardened because of what they'd been through. And look, I, I couldn't imagine what they'd experienced mm-hmm. in their life and in, in, the, in the world that we live in, the brokenness. But then we also had, um, I think my mic's going in and out. There we go. But then I also had some kids on the other side, which was really astounding. Some kids who have been through some of the worst things in the world, worst things in the, I can imagine going through them, but there was some kind of hope that was within them, which just shows you the power of God and the gospel mm-hmm. that's put inside of you when this new heart is birthed because of believing yeah. in Christ. And so, so I can see how it pulls people away, but man, what you see of people who've been through that when they have trusted in Jesus is an incredible thing to see. Yeah. And my, my heart goes out to those who've had the rough experiences. Mm. But the second reason why people choose to be atheists is this. They want to keep their sins. I think that's at the heart of it. In Romans 1, it says they suppress the truth about God in unrighteousness. The evidence of God is right before their eyes. But they literally say, I can't be looking at that because I want my unrighteousness. I want my sin. Dr. H. M. Morris said this. Therefore, men who reject or ignore God do so not because of the science or reason requires them to, but purely and simple, be, simply because they want to. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. <coughs> James Kennedy, I love him. He's one of the most brilliant men that, that lived in my lifetime. He said that this whole question of deciding, do you believe that God exists or do you, side, or do you choose the side of atheism? 
affects every area of life like no other question. And he said this, because people have to decide whether they regard themselves as their supreme being or regard God as the supreme being. Because if you take God out of the mix, you're basically making yourself the one who determines what is wrong and what is right and how I'm to live my life. And so that's the ultimate thing. Let me give you a personal experience with this right now. I use the creed in my own quiet time in the morning. Uh, I'll try to take time to go through it slowly and center on the basics of the faith. But most of the time, I I start this way and just pause for a second. I just start with these first four words. I believe in God. And then I picture the fact that God right now is there. I'm in his presence. And it makes all the difference in the world because I know God is watching over me. I know that God is there to hear my prayers. I know that one day I'll be with God in heaven. But there's the dividing line between those of us who say, I believe in God and those who don't. Amen. Well, I hope this has been a discussion that maybe has been helpful for you as you listen to this today. Um, I know you probably asked those same questions because I've got a six-year-old who asks questions <laughs> about God right now. And so it's something that we that we all do. Um, I, I hope that you also stick in with us as we begin to walk through this creed and, and really get to the essence of what it is that we believe and why we believe it. Thanks for joining us, and we'll be with you again in a couple of weeks.